The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. Coming up after 10.15, our LGBTQ panel discusses the myths and misconceptions about same-sex parenting and LGBTQ families, as well as commemorating Transgender Day of Remembrance, which is today. So we'll do that, but first... Calling's not the only way to connect. The inbox is easy and always open at 514-800. And you can also send me your emails to Lori at drlaurie.com. I got this interesting one. I think it's the first time, you know, with the years of doing this, there's a lot of stuff I uh, probably have heard it all, but sometimes, you know, get caught and it's like, oh, this is new. Uh, so I listen to your show every night. Fantastic. Thank you. My question uh, is, has there been any research on having sex in space? Could a female get pregnant with no gravity? The guy wouldn't need Viagra, I think, LOL. Uh, so does that, I, I have no idea. I don't know of any research. I tried to look, did a quick search and did not find any research of anybody trying to especially conceive uh, in space. I'm, I know there are obviously gravity issues, so uh, I'm not sure. Do, is, does anybody know much about space stuff. If you do, uh, text in if you have any uh, any ideas about what sex in space might be like and what about uh, conception. So this is an interesting one and one that, uh, yeah, that you stumped me with. Oh, well. All right, here's another one. My wife and I have been toying with the idea of swinging to spice up our marriage. We have looked online, but there is so much sleazy stuff that it's more a turnoff than turn on. I have heard you talk about the lifestyle before, but I can't remember specifics of how to go about this. You're right. There's probably once you start Googling swinging and such, you, you don't know what's what. And uh, if you're looking for... Uh, are you looking for people to be able to swing with? Like the best advice I have is you can go to a swingers club. There are some in Montreal. Club Lorage is probably the best known one here, but there are other ones. You could go there. You don't have to do anything. There's no obligation to do anything. But if you're just starting to explore the possibility, then going with your partner to the club, there's um, it's like a two-level thing. There's a private section where sex is happening, and then there's like a bar dancey place where people are just milling around and like a, a regular bar, but maybe with more of an erotic, uh, an erotic uh, flair or what have you. So you could go there and you can just check it out and see how comfortable you feel. So that's the first thing. Uh, some people who have started to explore this have also gone, uh, done this like when they go away. So there are resorts like um, hedonism, temptation, desire. Those are uh the Caribbean resorts, Caribbean resorts, where they are either clothing optional 
Uh, they have, again, you could do as much as you want or as little as you want. So that's the other thing, just so you can test and see what you're comfortable with and having a lot of conversations before you actually start calling up people and saying, Hey, you know, we're looking for a third for swinging, or we want to join an orgy or whatever it is that you're, you're looking for. I would also recommend you go to a website. I've interviewed these, uh, this couple before venuscouples.com or or look up The Sexy Lifestyle. They also have podcasts on The Lifestyle. And you can get a lot of information, and actually good information, as to how to begin, and they answer questions. And I believe there's also like a membership thingy where you could find other couples or other, yeah, other individuals or couples uh, to uh, to get involved with. So there are, there are definitely options, but, you know, good for you for, for asking and, and, uh, and doing that. Uh, Russia had a married couple aboard uh, aboard their uh, space uh, station. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Do we know anything about whether they had sex up there? Like, I don't know anything. I guess the real question would be, has anyone ever had sex in space, including just being at gravity zero? Yeah, I, I want to know who has had sex in space. Has there been any reports of any kind of sexual activity in space? I, even... I guess solo sex. I, I don't know. I, I'd want to know. Certainly, well, solo sex. I guess would be the would be fine. But um, trying to fit two pieces together, two bodies together, might be a little more uh, difficult. I read an article that said that you could get a shot inside your vagina to make you orgasmic. What do you think about, or what do you know about this? I've never had an orgasm with intercourse, and I wonder if this could help. So what you're referring to is something called the G-shot. It's uh, basically, it's a collagen or Botox injection to enlarge the area where the G-spot is. There's a, like a, it's an area that is has a lot of nerve endings and and for some women can be uh, very arousing when stimulated. But there are no studies about this at all right now. So for a lot of people, it's uh, uh, people making money off more insecurity, you know, as if a shot in the vagina is going to make you orgasm. Where if you look at the facts and the realities, 80% of women need the clitoral stimulation. So I don't know how effective it is. Like I would never recommend something unless I see all the studies that come out first. And I'd have to have like some pretty good compelling evidence uh, before starting to, to do that. But I do know there are doctors who provide this G-shot. There are some in Montreal that have been trained in this. And... Um, I don't know. I, I, I just, uh, I don't know its effectiveness. I think anecdotally we may find that it has been effective for some people. I'm just, I just wouldn't, it's not something I would recommend just yet unless I, uh, I saw more of the, uh, more of the research. I just Googled it. So the sex and space question, and apparently there's no traction and you keep bumping into walls or other objects, right? That are around. So that would be kind of funny. Like you wouldn't be able to go, go in and out, I suppose. Right? Like the, yeah, you'd have to find a whole new way of having sex, I guess. I don't know. 
another question, uh, 514-800, by the way, to text in. If, if uh, we're looking at sex in space right now, there's a question. So if you know anything about that, then you share that with us because I know nada about sex in space. I heard that I can take a pill every day to help with my erectile dysfunction. Which drug is that? So what you're talking about is uh, Cialis. Cialis is available on a daily dose um, regimen. So whereas Viagra is you take it an hour or two before sexual activity, Cialis is a smaller dose but every day, which allows for the spontaneity of whenever, whenever you need it to go up, well, then you've got it in your system. Uh, and so that, that would be that one. I think there's, there may be another one. I don't know if it stacks in possibly there. The, the one that I know of the best is, is Cialis, but you should speak to your doctor about this to see some people, some men respond quite well, uh, to that. And, uh, um, so you, it's something that you need to see because you could take Cialis also not on a daily dose, but as a, as a one-time uh, dose. Uh, the space station, Mir, a married couple up there for three months and did not have sex. Long way up to have fun going down. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they had uh, any sex. And then uh, another texter, I guess, on the when it has to do with uh, the, the, the G-shot, it's called a placebo effect. Could be a placebo effect. Never know. That's a possibility. Uh, coming up, our LGBTQ panel will be in. We're going to talk about uh, parenting, same-sex parenting, since we have the director of the LGBT uh, Plus Family Coalition who will be joining our panel as well, so we'll be able to talk about that. And we commemorate Transgender Day of Remembrance today as well. And why is it important uh, to remember? So that's something that we uh, will discuss as well. A safe place to work out the king in any relationship. It's passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Today is Transgender Day of Remembrance and in studio with us, it just so happens, it's also our LGBTQ panel night. Uh, with us, we have uh, Bill Ryan, a McGill professor and LGBTQ advocate, Jean-Cilbriere, the executive director of AIDS Community Care Montreal, and Mona Greenbaum, the director of the LGBT Plus Family Coalition. Welcome back. Thanks. Hi. Hello, hello. Uh, all right, so it's Transgender Day of Remembrance. We had on actually earlier, uh, no, last week on Friday night, I think, yes, we had Crow, who is um, uh, um, a tra like a trans model who was a female like supermodel or, or model, and then Transition now is a male model, and uh, today launches the documentary called Transformation, uh, on Out TV, so uh, that's kind of fun, and uh, so that was today. Why is it important to have a transgender day of remembrance, Bill? Well, for several reasons. One is that um, if we look at the acronym, you know, the LGBTQ plus 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 acronym, the one of the one of the initials that the, that's the least understood in our society is the T, mm -hmm. representing trans people. Secondly, trans people are are way overrepresented in statistics related to violence and murder. Mm -hmm. So um, trans lives are at risk just about everywhere on the planet. I was looking at some statistics earlier today, and in 2019, 331 trans people, 
that were documented as murdered were, were murdered, but we know that the figure is oh probably a lot higher than that. Right. So, you know, there are real dangers out there, and this is a day when to take stock of that and to try and sensitize people around trans issues and also the risks that trans people run in a society that does not yet understand or accept them fully. Mm-hmm. And also the suicide mm-hmm. risk is, is much higher. Yes, Right. Yes. And today's the 20th anniversary, I think, of the Trans Day of Remembrance. I think it was first held in 99. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think it was in 98, there was a uh, young lady that was murdered in Boston. And then in San Francisco, a year later, they held it in 1999. So 20 years since that first night vigil. Hmm. Well, we're talking about parenting time because we have Mona here. So we're going to take full advantage, mm-hmm. Mona, of your Good. expertise and ask you questions. But we can tie in the parenting and the trends with two cases that are very interesting. And Jocelyn, maybe you can fill us in on the, because there was a ruling yesterday, um, a case in the U.S., and we'll talk about how maybe the Canadian courts handled the same situation. Yeah, sure, definitely. So uh, I recently read this um, in the news, and it was a ruling that was done by a judge in Texas, if I'm not mistaken, uh, yesterday or this week, uh, where a couple in a divorce trial, joint custody, um, the mother was supporting the transition of one of her children, their twins, um, and the father was not. Uh, the father did a fundraiser online saying, help me pay my juridical fees because I need to stop my wife from inventing this transition that doesn't really exist in my son. Um, yeah. Raised $100,000, and the judge actually uh, made a dis- dis- decision in the last 48 hours and ruled for joint custody. Meaning what? That the father can stop the that both mother? Parents, both parents have to agree. Parental rights, yeah. Because it requires, I think they're looking for medical intervention, right? Yeah. To be able to have uh, puberty blockers and things like that, I think. And in mm-hmm. Canada, we had a similar case in Canada. Yeah, in Canada, Mono- it was in BC. And there was a, the same sort of litigation going on in the courts. But in this case, if I recall correctly, it's um, the father actually lost. So it was the yes. same thing. He was opposing the transition of the child. And he lost custody and he lost the right so the child was able to go ahead with the transition Mm -hmm. so we're a lot more progressive (laughs) clearly we are thankfully yeah Yeah, we are some people might might have an issue with it of course and these are very contentious issues of when there's a, a divorce and when there's when there's when one person supports and one doesn't believe that this is something right Mm -hmm. or that this is a phase or maybe we can explain that so that people understand since we are talking about Transgender Day of Remembrance today, that we should maybe sensitize people and to know what this is about. And in in youth, Mona, do you want to talk about this? Mm -hmm. This is something that you, you must see this with parents who come to you too with children. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, our group is more, we have the trans parents, Parents, not necessarily the trans kids. Right. But uh, we do talk about trans issues, of course, in general. And this, you know, this idea that, uh, you know, that kids don't know comes up. We often have that when we do trainings, uh, people will say, well, how can a young child know what their gender is? And maybe they're confused or Mm -hmm. it's too early for them to decide. They know. I mean, we don't question it when a non-trans person says, I'm a girl or I'm a boy. Right. So we shouldn't question it either for a trans child. Um, They know. And there's, of course, a lot of kids experiment with gender. You know, they experiment with their gender expression. Mm -hmm. You have, you know, little boys that want to put on nail polish or... Girls that are tomboys. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Or try on the little boy that wants to try on the princess outfit, whatever. 
But um, with trans kids, it's different. It's a lot more solid. You know, there's the, this, you know, they really insist on it. There's, you know, we always talk about this criteria, insistence, persistence, and consistence. Mm-hmm. So the idea that um, they really, it's not like, uh, you know, one day they feel like a boy, but the next day they feel like a girl. It's very, um, it's very consistent mm-hmm. and it, it's, it carries out over the years. It's, it's something that's, that's solidly there. Right. And so... It's not like they're going to change their minds. And it, it and it's not like parents should panic the minute a, a little boy says, oh, can I try on your high heels? Or can I wear your earrings? Like, you know, the, yeah. the, that it's about that consistency and that persistence. Yeah. And, and it's you can see the distress, which is a, a little bit different, right? In just a kid that's experimenting versus one that is distressed by it, right? Yeah, because I think the experimentation is super, super normal, normal and yeah. frequent and uh, re- normal in the sense that it's regular. It's very common, right? But uh, for trans kids, it's it's a much more kind of consistent type of thing that carries out over the years. And hasn't the research also shown that the earlier we there's intervention like uh, blocking of of uh, hormones and blocking of the puberty and giving hormones of the 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 gender that they feel that that actually is helpful do you know the research on that well i think that for for trans kids the problem i they can pretty much live in their gender without too much problem until they reach puberty right and when puberty kicks in then and they start to see their body change it starts it can become really stressful there's a what they call gender dysphoria so they can be really upset with these changes so they give them hormone blockers so what that does basically is it it stops puberty from happening and it's a, a medication that's reversible so in theory if they change their minds they just stop taking ah, the, those pills, okay. and then their puberty, you know, puberty comes, puberty up. comes up as it normally would have. But it gives them kind of a leeway, like a period of time where they can still think about it and decide if it's really what they want to do. Right. And then as they get a little bit older, they can go actually on the, the cross hormones like right. estrogen or testosterone. Right. And actually, that's a good period for somebody to have the psychological counseling to be able to figure it out. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. not talking about the counseling that the other kind where it's, you know, like conversion or fix it or get, get it out mm-hmm. of my, my, my child system, but more about that, the understanding of where this is coming from and then being able to help a child figure out if this is in fact, uh, what they're looking, uh, what they're looking for. It, it's yeah. also a really important time for parents to get support and to get mm-hmm. counseling and education around the issues so that they can support and accompany their child. Uh, during the various phases, uh, uh, like um, when uh, puberty blockers are administered, so it's it's a really important time, and you know just coming back to the custody cases and the issues related to statistics on violence, you know we, we when parents disagree on these issues, then we have to bring science in. Yes. And the courts have to look yes. at science yes. and not yes. prejudice. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's what's missing is mm-hmm. the science isn't so readily available to people, so they're just people are reactive, they're emotional, so they're not really looking at the science and 
uh, and also the benefits, like the be- you know the science that shows what the benefits are and what have mm-hmm. you. Now, this texter wrote in, and maybe you can address this, Bill. <laughs> what about gay men in Iran who are being forced by imams to remove their genitals through surgery to become women? I have not heard this, but maybe you have. Since homosexuality is forbidden in Islam, but not transgender women. Gay men are being persecuted and forced into transgenderism, in Iran specifically. Gay men are running for their lives to Turkey. So I don't know. Have you heard about yes, this? Yes, you have. We've okay. known about this for years, and it's horrible, and not acceptable. Um, and so, uh, a gay man who's arrested, for example, um, by the police, it may be proposed to him that he undergo uh, gender reassignment surgery in order not to be imprisoned or even possibly worse. And so, um, of course, people will submit to the surgery because it's that better than being or killed. Your life is right. in, in question. And it's, you know, the medical establishment collaborates with this in Iran, which is completely unethical. But it is a fact. This does happen. This is a fact. Wow. And I often like to remind people that sometimes religion and queerness, for instance, can coexist and cohabitate. For instance, in Montreal, there's the Unity Mosque that is queer friendly. Um, And I myself identify as someone of Muslim heritage. And I know gay moms. There's uh, many gay moms in Toronto, for example, that mm-hmm. have children with their partners. So um, it's always a uh, discussion of not necessarily associating a religion with um, uh, anti-queerness, but right. what people do with religion as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And and also certain countries and, exactly. and how they, yeah. you know, how they, how they treat them. But I remember years back when I was working with the, the transgender population that uh, we had quite a few um, females, females to males from those countries because they were more comfortable as men in those countries than as women. So I thought that that's an interesting take on it as well when you look at uh, at the country and how they view women. Mm-hmm. So uh, and, and, and you yeah. know, as we're talking about something that's an atrocity somewhere else, we can't forget that in this country there's still an incredible amount of violence in Canada right. uh, uh, directed towards trans people and yeah. that many provinces still permit healthcare professionals to operate what's called, what's called conversion therapy. And um, that's increasingly that becoming be legal, stopped. but it needs to be stopped everywhere. Absolutely. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk about same-sex parenting myths and misperceptions with our LGBTQ panel after we check in with our CJD 800 newsroom. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. From the pleasure and the politics to the hang-ups and the heartbreak, You're listening to Passion, CJD 800. Tonight on the program, LGBTQ issues once a month. That's what we focus on. We've got in studio with me Bill Ryan, a McGill professor and LGBTQ advocate, Jean Silbriere, the executive director of AIDS Community Care Montreal, and Mona Greenbaum, the director of the LGBT Plus Family Coalition. Here's a question for you, Mona. Are there Mm. any statistics to show that gay parents could be more successful in raising a family compared to straight families since the gay couples have more to prove to society they can focus the child's welfare just as good, if not better, to justify same-sex parenting. I know there's research on this. Yeah, well, there's been decades and decades of research starting back in the 70s Wow. on uh, LGBT parenting. So looking at parental capacity, looking at child development, and um, I think for the first few decades, um, we were always being compared to the population in general. So, and some of the studies did actually show that we were 
supposedly better, better parents. parents. <laughs> but I think it was because when you pair, compare to the population in general, there's all types of parents. Whereas with, you know, with queer parents, it's often, you know, we really have to make an effort if we want to have kids, something that's really thought about and reflected over for many, many years right. before it happens. It's not just kind of like an accident. Right. Or, we just you know, happen to become yeah, pregnant. Just, right. Yeah. So, I mean, when they started to compare um, queer parents, let's say, with heterosexual parents that had either adopted or had gone through fertility treatments, mm -hmm. it was pretty much showing the same thing. So we're well, not we're not better. We're not worse. We're, we're, <laughs> we're just as good. Sometimes we're horrible. But, uh, You're still people. Yeah, I mean, we you are know, people. With and we have our problems, too. <laughs> I'd love to speak to how extensive it is when they're doing the, the process of like foster care, for instance, which my partner and I, we started all the procedures, oh, yeah? the paperwork. Oh, cool. We've done the sessions. They basically ask you everything and anything about your relationship with your parents. They do a financial assessment. They measure your space in your house to see if the kid has enough space to breathe. Wow. And I remember talking to a lot of my friends of color and my, my mother, who's Filipina, and I was like, they measure this amount of space for the child. And she's like, what? That's the same amount for me and my 13 brothers and sisters. <laughs> and you need that for one kid in foster care here in North America? I was like, that's what they make us do as gay parents. That's that <laughs> evaluation. What they make you do that that's as what any they make parent? Us do as parents. As yes. parents, yes. not Potential just gay parents. parents. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And it's an interesting process to go through because most, you know, the, the, the sort of cliche of the heterosexual couple that wake up on Saturday morning and, oh, honey, I'm pregnant, mm -hmm. you know, doesn't happen in a same-sex couple. So they're generally is an awful lot of discussion about what kind of parents you want to be and if you go through the adoption of the foster process you are put through all kinds That's of screening ringer, heterosexual, right. heterosexual parents who have parent who have children sort of through their own sexual ex uh, behavior <laughs> many together, should not be having them yeah <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There's not there's not a lot of adoptable kids in Quebec. There's mm -hmm. a few hundred every year that are adopted, and we're a population of over eight million. So they really choose only the very best people to adopt or foster kids in Quebec. And so you know the ones that actually go through this psychosocial evaluation, like you're doing, Jean Cyr, and and get chosen in the end to you know to have a placement, are really. Great. You're going to be the you're the, the I never said that I passed you. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm sure you <laughs> I'll will. I'll write you I'm a sure letter of recommendation. <laughs> but I you know it's not scientific, but what I see in our group is that those parents are really, really excellent parents. You know, they're very motivated. And unlike like some of the heterosexual parents that come into the process, often um, when it's straight parents that are wanting to adopt Quebec-born children, it's because they've already gone through a fertility process that didn't work out. And so they're kind of in mourning of not having to, you know, to be able to have biological kids, whereas... Um, gay people that come into the process, they're, you know, they're all excited and happy to be there, and it's a first choice. It's not kind of a default choice. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, those are good parents. Uh, I'm and, happy and you just, should come to our future parents group. Oh. Yeah. Oh, there just you just go. add another component to that, too, for the listeners who are thinking maybe of adoption or foster, and that is that there are children who are not infants, who are young adolescents or older toddlers. Yes who are not wanted by anybody. Mm. And if you have an idea of wanting to become a parent, just think about the possibility of an older child too. You did that. Because, yes, mm -hmm. because they generally don't get families. And so at sad. the age of 18, their mm -hmm. hands are shaken and they're told to have a good life and they have no permanent attachment to anyone in How terms sad. of family bonds. Something to think about. Mm -hmm. Really something to think about. Uh, this texter writes in, My sister-in-law and her girlfriend each had a baby from the same donor approximately one year apart. The one that had the girl is a daycare teacher and the one that had a boy is a mechanic. They are great 
parents. Oh, and they both paid quite a lot of money for the procedure. Uh, yeah, hugely yeah. expensive. There used to be a program that covered the fertility treatments between 2010 and 2015, but it was completely eliminated. And now the, the CAC government is actually talking about putting the program back in place. There's supposedly going to be uh, some sort of uh, projet de loi, like mm-hmm. a slated legislation that's going to be launched before Christmas. So maybe oh. some of those fees will be covered again, hopefully. Is it awesome. harder for a lesbian couple, for example, to, like, there's no discrimination with that, is there? Or, or there was once, I, I imagine? There's not, um, there isn't homophobia in the fertility clinics, but there's a lot of um, heterosexism. So what the type of thing that will happen, we're definitely, we don't have any problems to make an appointment or to go through with the process. But sometimes there'll be things like there'll be a lesbian couple that will arrive and the doctor will ask both of them to go through the battery of fertility tests, even though only one of them wants to become pregnant. <laughs> right. Because that's what you would normally do with a heterosexual couple, right? right? You <laughs> test the man and the woman to find out what's the problem. <laughs> right. But we don't necessarily have a problem, and it's not both women that necessarily want, want to get pregnant. To. Right. So, uh, but, you know, they, they apply the, the heterosexual mold to everybody. So there's there's a bit of that sort of problem. And there's definitely, we've seen problems with trans parents or trans future parents, people that want to start families and are transgender. I mean, our laws protect trans people. But on the ground, you know, they'll arrive in a clinic and sometimes the doctors or the nurses have prejudice and they don't think it's in the interest of this this future child to have a transparent. So they'll try to create barriers. If this was the States, I, I was reading somewhere that Trump was supporting this uh, bill or this thing that where doctors can dis- doctors can discriminate it's doctors actually, can yeah. decide not to treat it's, it's actually uh, what I read recently was Trump uh, there was actually a law that was passed that allows um, some of the adoption agencies that so have a religious vocation to um, reject LGBT applicants so yes. the the state funds those agencies and the agencies are allowed to reject certain wow. applicants based right. on their and, sexual orientation. And this there was a, there was a broader bill that for what they called I think it was religious conscience reasons that healthcare professionals yeah, could reject working with LGBTQ people in general. Right. But I think just today or yesterday because I read it I in think, the New York yeah. Times today that a district court, I think it was in North Carolina, District of Columbia or Virginia, struck that law down and said that it was unconstitutional. Mm. Yes, exactly. Thank heavens mm-hmm. for the courts. Yeah. Exactly. But for the adoption, the the discrimination is still there. So there's all these kids in the states that needs that need to be, you know, adopted or fostered and all these LGBT people that would love to be able to take those yeah. kids in and they're they're not allowed to. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We are more progressive. Yeah, we are. When we compare those two. Yeah. Um, well, I, I do want to get to some of the biggest myths, and, and one of them is if you're raised by gay parents, you have a bigger chance of being gay. I think that's something that a lot of people think, so I want to I get to that with uh, Mona Greenbaum. She's the director of the LGBT Plus Family Coalition. In studio with us as well as Bill Ryan and Jean Silbriere, our regular uh, panelists for our our LGBTQ night. Uh, so we'll answer that question and any others that you may have as well for our Passion panel. with Dr. Lori Batito on CJAD 800. 
tonight, our LGBTQ panel in studio, Bill Ryan, John Silbury, and Mona Greenbaum. Mona is the director of the LGBT Plus Family Coalition. They run parents groups and all kinds of other uh, programs. Just uh, before I forget, because I know I will at the end, where can people find you guys if they need you? Well, we have a, they can find our contact through our website. Uh, it's www dot uh, fami like in French mm-hmm. f a m i l l e s lgbt dot org okay fami uh, lgbt dot yeah. org and Wonderful. we have workshops for future parents we're actually having one on Saturday where and they're always full house completely full with a waiting list oh, I've wow. done it before it's great I loved it I did yeah. it with my partner oh, it's true. You last year did it. yeah. Yeah. oh wow so if you're thinking of becoming parents. Yes, like exactly. Yeah, yeah, we have all types of uh, panels, and you know, people talk about the different ways of starting families. And highly recommend even, it. We even <laughs> have a kids panel now, so because oh, the wow. kids are older, so they talk about their experiences too. So yeah. let's talk about some of the most common myths, and one of them that I've unfortunately, you know, I've, I've had, I've seen these texts come up where they say, "Well, it does not make a child gay," you know. So let's mm-hmm. talk about that, please. <laughs> Well, yeah, it is a very, very common myth. Uh, it's something that researchers looked at over and over they have, and again. Eh? Okay. Uh, I think the question in general bugs me. This At this point, when I think about it, the question itself bugs me because I think behind the question is this idea that it's a, a failure if your kids turn out gay. Right, right. And I always say, well, you know, even if our kids did turn out to be 100% gay, is that a problem? You know, I think the question itself is really dumb. But um, I many studies have shown that there's no difference. And uh, we've spent years and years, I mean, when we were working to advance the rights of our families, it was always to show that our families are the same, the same, mm-hmm, and there's no mm-hmm. differences. But I think what I'm seeing, and it's not scientific, but what I see in the community, and we have about, I would say, 1,700 families, something like wow. that in the group. Okay. Yeah, it's quite a That's big group. Um, our kids do experiment more. They do. I mean, it's normal because they're in, they grow up in an environment where that's allowed. Where there's you know, more or, openness. There's openness. Right? Our mm-hmm. kids are not going to be homophobic, that's for sure. Right. And um, and they're at ease with the community, with the idea of being gay. So our kids do experiment more. Um, I just want to add, like the, all children or most children do experiment. Like I don't remember what the statistic was, but it's really big. Like 70% of, of kids mm-hmm. will have same-sex experimentation okay. right it's it's yeah. normal sex play so right. there is part of that so right. i just want to add that and so for our kids there's that same experimentation and also knowing that you know if they do turn out gay that their parents are not going to reject them they're not going to be right. kicked out of the house so, so they so yeah. they probably would come out faster yeah faster mm-hmm. and easier so i don't know um if those studies that were carried out in the 70s and 80s if they were redone again what we would find maybe you know there are maybe there is a bit of a higher percentage i don't think i mean you don't learn your sexuality from your parents mm-hmm. right and that's I think obvious that's the important thing mm-hmm. gay people most gay people have heterosexual parents right. so it's the same thing i don't think that our kids learn it from us but the fact that our kids grow up in our culture, if you can say that there's an LGBT culture, mm-hmm. I think it exists, and that, you know, they're at ease with the idea of it. So maybe, you know, some of that experimentation, maybe there is a slightly higher percentage, but it's not like all our kids turn out it's, gay. It's not a statistic. I don't think no. it would be statistically significant. No, to tell no, you I truth. don't think so, no. Yeah. I don't no. know, Bill, do you know of any? Well, uh, well, I think I just support exactly what Mona said. What I was going to say was the, the, uh, the my son, mm-hmm. um, 
is 100% heterosexual. <laughs> and I think that the big difference for him being brought up in a same-sex household was that he was exposed to diversity from a very early age and uh, celebrates and sees diversity as something enriching. And, uh, you know, I was just talking to him yesterday and he lives out in Alberta now and he was saying how a lot of staff come out to him because he says openly that he has two dads. Right. And uh, so new employees come in and other people come in and say, oh, my son or my daughter. And they have these great conversations because he is openly open. Mm. Right. Oh, that's nice. That's wonderful. Mm. Right. So they don't, that's another thing too, thinking uh, how do the kids handle it? Do they celebrate it? Are they bullied for it? Are they like, what happens in schools now? Mm -hmm. I think it depends on the age a lot. I think for the really young kids, it's, you know, it's totally normalized. And, you know, when they talk, you see a family with two dads or two moms, all, I think kids are by nature open as they um, get a little bit older, I think the the worst period for kids is between the ages of 12 and 14, mm. you know, that age of conformity yeah. where everybody has to be the same. And I saw that with my own kids, it was, you know, between grades six, seven, a bit of eight mm -hmm. also, where they were kind of went underground. They were totally open about us in elementary school, and then they kind of went underground just between the end of elementary school and high school. they didn't tell their friends, said, didn't tell Yeah, anybody. especially when they switched into their new high schools. They were like, we're not going to talk about it right away. We're going to see who's who, you know, who, mm, who their friends who's are. Who's open to... And then by the end of high school, it's like that, that you know, when you're reaching 16, 17 and you want to be cool and different. So then it becomes <laughs> the cool thing to have two moms <laughs> or two dads. Right. And then it's like that, then your house becomes the hangout place for everybody. Right. That's kind yeah. of like in my house, it was not cool for me to be like in sex therapy. But by the time the kids were older, <laughs> sure. all their friends wanted exactly. to talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that became the house. Yeah. yeah. But the research actually shows that our kids are not bu more bullied than other okay, kids good. but they're okay. more aware of homophobia like if there's you know homophobic words or you know bullying going on in the school they they pick up on it they're more right. sensitive to it even if they're not personally the target of it they're more right. sensitive and I think that would be the same too for kids who have family members I know that in our like in my family close close uh, either friends or family members where my kids from a very early age were exposed to same-sex uh, couples quite a few in fact two men two women and so they grew up with that knowing knowing that and it's it's that's where that exposure to diversity it's a like a no-brainer it, it's not a thing it just is right, right. so yeah. so they're that, more tuned if there's homophobia exactly, going on they notice it whereas exactly. for a lot of kids it's just kind of banal it just happens and you know you hear homophobic language and just kind of goes under the radar right well this like this mm. texter says my son called his brother gay i asked why he said it's a normal word i said your aunt is gay and she would not like that word and then he asked i'm not sure if i'm being too harsh but um do gay people mind if you call them gay <laughs> like <laughs> the, yeah you know I think the, the word gay is okay it's not okay when you use it as an insult. Right. And that's what happens right. is that it's used for all sorts of negative things. Anything that's not cool or weak right. or not exactly. fun is gay. And that's mm -hmm. where you, te you we teach our youth. Like if we're going to do education and, uh, you know, when we do want to teach uh, sensitivity and acceptance and all of that, so we have to teach people to be advocates for that, right? Mm -hmm. To be able to say when you hear, that's so gay, 
that you step in and say that's not okay. That's not okay. That's right. <laughs> that was like a 1990s Hillary Duff campaign. Was it? She was like shopping, and then their three girls are like, yeah. "That's so gay. Don't buy that." And Hillary Duff was like, "That's not okay." <laughs> I remember it. It was really funny. Well, that's cute. Is that the same campaign as uh, the one with Wanda Sykes? No, no. This okay, that's a different. One. She's yeah. hysterical. Yeah, I know. Right. Yeah. She's a great comic. And just to, uh, to end on a fun note, we discovered a couple of things. So there's a new transgender dating app called uh, Butterfly, butterfly.dating, if anybody is interested, which I thought was really cool. Mm. And then, uh, Mona, you were telling me about a non-binary Barbie. Yeah, Mattel has come out with this. Yeah, just a few weeks ago. I can't wait to buy it. Also. I know. Yeah. A yeah. non-binary Barbie. So, yeah. yeah, Short haircut, uh, androgynous clothing. Yeah. We ca- we'll call her they, <laughs> yeah. right? We call right. her they. Right. right. And a video game with a transgender Yeah, just character. announced by Microsoft coming out in 2020. Um, and it was created uh, with the assistance of GLAAD. So um, involved trans folks in the creation of the Amazing. game. Amazing. Wonderful. Mm. Guys, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, Jean-Sil can be found where? ACC Montreal on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. All right. Mm. And uh, Mona and the Family Coalition, the LGBT Plus Family Coalition, say it again. Famille with an S, LGBT.org. There you go. Famille, uh, LGBT.org. And Bill, just take his class. They're always great. <laughs> <laughs> At McGill, by Bill the way. Can be found just take everywhere. his class. That's right. <laughs> just sit in on his class. Just pop in there. Uh, thank you all for, uh, for all of your wonderful texts. Uh, thank you to our technical producer, Dave Simon. And thank you all for listening, of course. Uh, Coming up next here on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion.